gearing up for the Argentine FA Cup final of league matches. Uh, welcome to London Pod. actually an Argentine FA Cup these days of course when Handapop began there wasn't and this uh, match that we're previewing in this episode was the equivalent of the FA Cup final it kind of still is now really because I think most people would say that a league Super Clasico is bigger than the Copa Argentina final no? definitely, definitely. Um, yeah. it, it is the biggest match in the country and it's what we're talking about this week we will get on to uh, the, the rest of the Primera a little later on in the podcast don't worry if you support one of the other sides because we will be talking about how your time did at the weekend um, but we're going to start off with a look at River Plate versus Boca Juniors which is this uh, Sunday at 5.15pm yeah yes. that's right isn't it it's not 6 after this moment yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right yeah Boca want to move it to 4.15pm uh, we did mention why what's the, what's the difference we've mentioned at least twice in the last three episodes that Boca are going to be fucking about with the timetables a lot well, what's the difference between 5.15 and 4.15 the world, apparently, Joe. It means an awful lot. What has any reason no, been given? Historically, it was it was either played on on four fifteen or four forty uh, due to uh, the first game in the afternoon being played at three p.m. Uh-huh. due to the timetables yeah, in, yeah. in Afa and also because um, if if you set it for much later, it usually piles up with the TV schedules of every other channel, sure. and so on. The voices that you've already heard, by the way, because I haven't introduced people yet. Uh, I'm Sam Kelly. Hello. Um, I've got sitting next to me in complete silence, waiting for me to present him to you, uh, Andres Bruckner. Hi. Welcome back, Andres. Um, the voice that you just heard that sounded sort of slightly foreign is Gustavo Malamud. Hello. Um, and the other voice, which sounded rather more English, is Joel Richards. Hello, but truly I'm the foreigner here, and these two are the... The locals. That's quite right. As uh, of course as I am as well. Yeah. Uh, yes, you're quite right. Good correction. Um, we, we're fortunate to have Joel with us this this uh, week because he literally wrote the book on the Super Classico, uh, a point that we'll be getting onto in just a couple of minutes. Um, because it, the the recording venue for this week's podcast, my living room, is about as fitting as we can get for the Super Classico because it's the closest of the multiple venues that we have had in this podcast's history to the Barrio of La Boca. It starts about four blocks or five blocks that way. I thought you can't see me pointing uh, south, southeast sort of direction. Uh, that's where La Boca is. We're in San Telmo. Um, and that, of course, is, is where the fixture was born. It's where both of these clubs were born, even though lots of people, particularly outside Argentina, maybe aren't as aware that River also were born in San not San Telmo, La Boca, bloody hell, I'm confusing myself already. Um, but th- this is the, 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 a good excuse, I think, initially to start off with a little bit about the history of the Super Classico and who better to ask than the man who's written a book about the history of the Super Classico. Well, yeah, no, it's great to be back on. I, I do try and come every week, as you, as you well know, but uh, unfortunately I'm not always able to. Um, yeah, I think everyone, no, people know the story here in Argentina pretty well, but, um, but abroad... 
the super classico is very much painted as the two different sides of the city. So you've got Boca from the working class area, the port area, and you've got River Plate, the millionaires from the north of the city. Whereas the reality is that the rivalry starts here in La Boca. Both were founded by immigrants, and both teams were here for many years. And it's River, and both teams had difficulty finding a, a permanent um, location, which it's a very which, small boundary, which which led exactly by the major problems. And both teams moved several times in the in the first two decades of the of the 20th century Indeed. after it's, they were formed. As so, I said, it's a very small barrio, but it's also the, the area, the, the barrios around it, San Telmo is, is the geographically smallest barrio in the city, and it's worth possibly linked in with that, the fact that San Telmo's original stadium was literally two blocks south of where we're sitting yeah. now, uh, and it's now no longer even in the city of Buenos Aires. It's yeah. the, the geographically closest stadium on the planet to La Bombonera, just across the river, and, yeah. uh, in a lovely area. Called Isla Maciel, which, <laughs> which I really cannot recommend enough that uh, particularly foreign-looking listeners do not go to uh, at any time of day. Yeah, for at sure. Least sure. Uh, carry on, John. No, no, just um, I mean, just to very briefly, um, just a, an overview. So, as both sides were looking for different um, piece plots of land where they could build a stadium on, um, the closest they ever were, where they had their stadiums two two blocks apart. That was about around 1910, 1915, around then. And then in 1920, River Plate leave La Boca and they go to Recoleta, or Palermo, it's kind of on the edge, just in front of where the national broadcaster, the Canal Siete, Channel 7, is now. That's where the stadium was for, for 10 years or so, and it's there. Libertador in Tagle, right? It's, it now it's... Figaro in Tagle. It's Figaro in Tagle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's near where the flower is, the huge flower. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now it's a beautiful park, and you can't imagine um, a football stadium being there, but it's really there, and this is where River's identity starts changing, because it's in a very nice area of town, and... So on the one hand, you had a different type of supporter who would come to the game, but also it's there when River Plate signed Bernabe Ferreira, who is like the first star of Argentine professional football. Uh, he's still got the goal-scoring record for game consecutive games that he scored. And it's there, because of Ferreira, that River Plate became such a massively supported side that, that, they, um, that they are. And then the lease in that land was running out and it's then that they move in the till tail end of the 1930s they move to their current location um, up in actually in Belgrano it's not in Nunez everyone says Nunez they're wrong but that's okay it's just yeah. and, and the style of play the way they, they have been playing in history has to do with this that you said about the the areas in which their stadiums are situated or is something that perhaps is, has, has to do more with the folklore that is out here like, well it's, it's yeah. pure folklore isn't it it's, it's complete bollocks that the area that you're in or the, the class of your fans has something to do with the style of football. No, there's one sure. very interesting theory, which is, I think I read it, there's a playwright who wrote this, and I would name him if I could remember his name, so um, obviously I can't. Um, <laughs> but this playwright, who I'll tweet or mention it later on, um, said that it's the architecture of the stadium, the Monumental, compared to the Momonera, that created this style very much. And they've got a point because River River's style really starts with the Machina, which is in the 1940s, which is already in the Monumental. And the theory goes that the Monumental is, as everyone knows, and if you don't know, Google Earth it or whatever and have a look at it. It's very open, very expansive, and it sort of invites this spe- very spectator sport where people are watching on and 
and, and just requires this kind of to use the whole pitch. Whereas the Bombonera, as everyone knows, and if you haven't look at photos, is you feel like you're on top of the pitch, and so there's a real, real pressure pot. And so there, the, the theory, this theory goes, I think it's quite a nice idea, how just the different architecture of the two stadia have, have contributed massively to how the style of the two clubs developed. But I mean, in terms of it being a class reason, that's rubbish, because footballers all come from the same... Class. When talking about the architecture of the stadium, of course, then there's another interesting little nugget that people may or may not be aware of. Does anybody, uh, I imagine that, that all three of you do, but know uh, which uh, other major building in Buenos Aires was designed by the architect who designed La Bombonera? Can't remember his name. The Abastor Shopping Centre. Ah. Same okay. architect. Yeah. Not, not one that you're likely, particularly like to if you come here to Buenos Aires as a tourist, although you may or may not see it as well. It, it, it is a by the way, contained within the food court at the Avastor Shopping Centre is the only kosher McDonald's in the world outside Israel. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. We, we can get all sorts of culture into a, a super classical preview on this show. <laughs> um, but yeah, Joel, sorry, carry on. So they grew apart. So first they moved to Palermo, they were there for about 10 years, and then they moved to, uh, to Belgrano, or Nunez, it's, it's one street inside Belgrano, but I mean, we're really nitpicking here. Point is... Everyone says Nunez, but I happen to completely agree with you, it should be... I've had raging... Not raging... I've, I've, I've had, had people pull me up on Twitter for saying Belgrano. I've had discussions with taxi drivers, taxi drivers saying, mate, you're going to say that I don't know this city? I was like, well, clearly you don't, because <laughs> the monument that is inside Belgrano, but anyway. One of the most famous, or well-known songs uh, sing from Real Blade supporters is... Uh, from Nunez will become the new champion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So everyone's basically forgotten, but it's neither here nor there. But um, but I think the, the, the interesting thing about River Stadium is that it's, it's an amazing construction that was built way before the Bernabeu, Camp Nou, a major stadium in in, um, in Europe. And the whole thing is that River kept moving because they, the club was growing enormously because of the amount of supporters, but also because it was a sports club. And that's what River Plate still very much has, which is it has... Uh, I think it's about 27 different sports for their for their supporters. So so this is all kind of how the club began to grow, and, and Boca has it as well. Although they have much fewer, they have fewer um, sports now. But so the whole thing is that you know it's pitched as this rich versus the poor. And the reality is that just as the two clubs evolved, um, they grew apart. But but the old, all the old timers, and if you read interviews with uh, old players in the fifties and, and you know around that time, they all refer to the rivalry from here in in La Boca as being the reason they hate each other, rather than it being a class uh, yeah. war, as it were. There was actually, uh, I think it was Tay Say were doing a sort of build-up show yesterday because they do start a week in advance or two weeks in advance sometimes. Uh, here in Argentina to, to it do the build-up. This is Tay Say as well, a, a, a channel who don't even have the rights to show the match who are doing all of this build-up. And they went down to uh, to La Boca prior to Boca's match at the weekend against Quilmes uh, and were interviewing some of the match-going fans and stuff there and they found one lady who lives across the road from La Bombonera and is a River fan. And brilliant, they said, brilliant. they said, what's it like living here in literally in the shadow of La Bombonera supporting River? And she said, well, you know, they were born here. Yeah, River were born here, so why am I not going to be a River fan? One of one of the streets, yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the streets that leads down to the Bombonera is called um, Liberty, mm. and it's for Tomas Liberty, who's the father of Antonio Liberty, whose name is is the official name of the monumental Antonio Vespucci Liberty. So, so it's a family, very much, very much. Uh, and his dad was um, well, they, they were Gen- um, Genoese immigrants, and he was. Um, 
big, very important people in the in the community, but in La Boca, not in Belgrano or Nunez. So. Interesting. Um, what else can we say at this juncture? Uh, obviously, since, since then, the, the point is... Sorry, about Bernabeu Ferreira. Am I right in thinking he was very briefly the world transfer fee record, or is that complete rubbish? He was the first player signed in Argentina for a certain amount of money or whatever, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he was signed in the second year of professionalism, so he was one of the first... So it was the main, first I mean, record transfer here in Argentina, very possibly worldwide, I'm, I'm not sure, very possibly. But, um, I mean, with, you know, he's one of the all-time top goal scorers. And, and really, you know, when you think of, you look at players and teams who define decades, you know, you go back and we've got Messi now, then you've got Maradona and you go back and, you know, and, and, and Bernabe Ferreira is the 1930s in Argentine football, along with Edico. You know, also, uh, I um, I would like to, to add two things. First of all, Joe is probably right uh, when he means that uh, that the styles of playing were born along with the players. Uh, Boca wasn't known so far as the '60s as a uh, like a hard a hard working or hard play playing team. Up until the moment they got players in, in, inside like uh, Ratin, and then afterwards up to the '80s with Junta. And that that sort of thing. It it wasn't in the culture of the club. Um, <clears throat> and as far as the stadia goes, the ambience also has to do with the structures that they that they built. For example, when they say that the La Bombonera tiembla, of course it it has to do with the with the with the supporters and such. But it also has to do with the structure of the, of the pillars mm-hmm. and the way the stadium was built. That most of the pillars of La Bombonera, or at least a part of them, are Placed under the under the field, so with with for example with the people jumping or the people moving around, you're bound to feel uh, you're bound to feel the people in, within the the pitch. Instead, with with River Plate having the having the running track around and having the pillars of of the of the terraces like apart from the field, you're not bound to feel it as much uh, when you step into the field. No, absolutely. I, I, I read somewhere that uh, a couple of years ago that the running track at River was put there in readiness for the stadium to potentially hold the Olympics if Buenos Aires one day bid for them. And of course, it never has. It has <coughs> now won the Youth Olympics. In 2018, Buenos Aires hosts the World Youth Olympics. The World Youth Olympics? That's a tautology, isn't it? The, the Youth Olympics. Um, and they're planning on building a new athletic stadium for it rather than using the running track that's already there at River. At the same time as which, River's current president, Rodolfo D'Onofrio, part of, uh, of his uh, mandate, uh, of his, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, prospectus, was, was to remodel the Monumental and get rid of the running track and to bring the stands in just slightly closer, the, the lower stands, which I personally quite like the sound of. Yeah, the whole... feel quite isolated. Yeah. Particularly to somebody who grew up watching football in an English stadium and, you know... Of course, of course. And you do feel slightly far away. I mean, I, I don't buy into this, everyone, you know... It's critics say you have you need binoculars to see the game. I mean, that's rubbish. I mean, you get a good view pretty much everywhere you are on the Monumental, but you are a little bit further, and this is true. But um, no, the reason for the athletics track is that the whole idea was that they were building a sports city, not a football stadium. And the whole idea, I mean, River Plate at one stage had you know 15 tennis courts. Uh, they have hockey pitches. They have uh, volleyball. They've got uh, fronton, which I still don't know how to say in English. Um, <laughs> they've got you know lots. I mean, so many activities going on. And this is the whole idea that River Plate. And this is something which you speak to any River Plate supporter, they will always say, you know, it doesn't matter about the results, because although the football comes first, 
it is about Ripley's gone at university so it, it's about being a, a club not a football team and, and that's why they've got the, the track the idea was that it was as you're right I rightly said to, to host major um, athletics tournaments and to which end as well it's, it's also worth pointing out that a lot of uh, Argentina's Olympian and, and um, world championship uh, athletes who, who go to compete train at River it's got the only Olympic sized pool in Argentina right. I think just next that's to right. Monumentalis within the club um, premises uh, among among other things, um, I was told that that was the the because um, the, they've got a retracting roof at the pool. I think, uh, yeah, that sounds right. And um, I was told the the sale of Andres D'Alessandro paid for that. My word, yeah. So players being sold and paid yeah, for yeah, bits exactly. of the so stadium and stuff because Seymourie when he moved to to Juve. Um, to Juventus uh, paid for for the standards now the popular where Los Borrachos del Tablon and, and the um, uh, and the normal fans the, the actual mm-hmm. fans who go to the popular uh, go the upper um, tier of, of the Sibori um, was was paid for by by Omar Sibori's sale to Juventus that's the standard well, if I'm really there. really really lucky I might be getting a ticket in there for Sunday's game I must stop you there the Sibori sale Led to the first two tiers being done. Oh, did it? Oh, I thought yeah, it was. Yeah, this is in the 50s, and the upper tier was only done. And this is the other thing that when people talk about the, mili- oh, the, the military course, paying yeah. for River Stadium, all the military paid for was that final third tier in the in the city, which is where the the borrachos. That's and, right. And the yeah, other fans are. Um, uh, yeah, as I say, I, there's a very small chance that I might be getting a ticket in the in the Sibori Media uh, for Sunday. Um, I'm going to be finding out on Thursday, so I'm going to be keeping my fingers crossed. Obviously, because <laughs> that would be. I was wondering for for you guys. I mean, with the um, for Argentines, so how much for how much does this match overshadow everything else? How much do River and Boca overshadow other teams? I think that's a, a question I'd particularly just like to redirect more towards Gustavo, because of course Andres is a River fan. Yeah, sure. Um, but Gustavo, you're pretty much a neutral in this, aren't you? You're, uh, well, I have to confess, I have been to the Boca Stadium a few times uh, before, so I'm not entirely neutral. But um, it's it goes like this: there's a number of matches in, within Argentina that even if you're if you're not a fan, if you're a neutral, you feel like you have to to watch within the, especially within the derbies, like Rosario Central and Newell's. is bound is bound to be a game that you're that you're going to see. Uh, either for the for the quality of the of, of the football within, or as the ambience, or the or the possibility of other things happening during the game. Um, with Boca and River, it has been a, a, that way as well, and also because of the bragging rights. Even if you don't want to watch the the Boca River game, you want to see who uh, who gets who gets the bragging match uh, the bragging rights to 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 Monday morning. Mm. Right, because you almost certainly you work with or you have somebody in your family who supports at least one of the teams, if not both, right? Well, actually, my 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 brother, he um, he used to he he used to goalkeep for a primera de for a primera de team near my ha- near my house, but at some point, my dad basically told him that if he was going to quit school and play football, that he was going to go for River because he was a River fan. My brother was a, dra- a die-hard Boca fan. <laughs> He got taken. He uh, basically w- uh, went to the youth teams to 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 get his trial, and he plays. He played with the likes of Saviola, Aymar, and that uh, that um, that like that collection of of guys. 
and when the when the um, when the when the game ended, he participated participated in a game where he was like tested and and they saw how he, how well he played. He was actually uh, he was actually picked to continue playing for River, and uh, one of one of his teammates comes and says, "Well, Santiago, uh, what what are what are you gonna do?" Well, I got picked, but uh, I'm not sure. I'm a Boca fan. Well, don't don't you worry. There's a lot of us. There, there's many of us that are actually Boca fans, <laughs> playing in the in the River Youth yeah, teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you see how how die how hard your 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 fanatism can go that you cannot play in River Plate either way. How old was your brother at this time? Um, he was, I think, he was 16, 17 years old. Yeah, so it's actually odd because he um, he had been playing in the intercountry tournament, uh, but he had never played for for teams uh, at that point. He was a goalkeeper. It's interesting how how they feed off each other as well. This idea, I mean, there, there's lots of stories about players who had trials with one and ended up playing for the other and vice versa. But um, but it's interesting how much they, you know, when River went down. Down as a vision, you know, there was this real sense that Boca had great fun. Obviously, the fact that River were relegated, but they really missed them. I mean, they need each other to egg each other on. And, well, R- and Riquelme gave an interview <coughs> at one point saying that he hoped River came back up yeah. because the Super Classico was something apart from the rest. Yeah, of Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And and I was going to say that um, the former goalkeeper Hugo Gatti, El Loco Gatti, who played at River Plate. But it was more associated with Boca. Uh, he once told a story that um, they would always, after the game, if they'd drawn or lost, they'd always come off the pitch, put on the radio, and see what River, what the River played result mm-hmm. had been, to see if they were going to get in trouble. Because if River played had won <laughs> and they'd lost, they'd, 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 you know, they'd have a nightmare of a week. And it's just this sense that you know the players are so aware of what what each other is going on uh, is happening at each other at, at the two clubs. And I mean, obviously, you know, with Twitter and everything these days I mean the amount of media and everything it's, it's taken a different dimension but they've always very much relied on each other and they you know the there's a sense of thing Argentine football revolves around this fixture and what the two teams represent and bring to, the, bring to it It's still feeding off them now a couple of days ago uh, Marcelo Barrobero and Sebastián uh, Sosa the no hang on not Sebastián Sosa Agustín Orión I apologise uh, Sosa used to be Boca goalkeeper and he's not anymore uh, the two goalkeepers um were in a, a presentation with a bunch of school kids teaching them about the need to speak out against violence in, in school and in the stadiums and, and stand against it and whatnot. Um, so it still continues now. You know, the, the, the two clubs do things together just as much as they they do things apart as well. Well, did you hear the um, Bocas? Uh, who was it? Vice President de- declarations today. Crespi. Crespi's. Crespi's declarations today because he said he basically said. That the River Stadium was going to be empty on Sunday, and furthermore, he said that Theo is actually a Boca fan and he has a factory full of Boca shirts. <laughs> has to feed no, to feed the frenzy. That is because given that even when Theo joined Racing, he said, "I hope to join River one day." As a result <laughs> yeah. of my spell here. But Chris, please, uh, answering to to Theo's uh, piece of news. Uh, uh, in which uh, he had to show a banner which said it wasn't the corner kick because when when River uh, defeated Boca 
the bombonera that that that, that was the banner piece <laughs> that Joel showing got it right here. Wasn't the correct? You got late. After that, uh, Crespi talked on uh, radio and, and said that because of course uh, Theo was like provoking, provoking or, or uh, like hitting the the previews of the match and the preview of the match, uh, which was of course the other way around that uh, Barovero and and Orion tried to do last day, last day was the other just the opposite to to try to calm down to not to to put some pepper into the uh, previous days of the match and, and, and then Theo comes with the banner saying it wasn't corner kick uh, like Bianchi uh, uh, complaining about uh, against Pitana who was the, the, the referee of the match that gave a corner kick to River which wasn't and after that the Funes Mori headed the, the ball to one. Yeah, the um, it's it wasn't a corner. It's kind of become one of the slogans for River Plate to wind up Boca, hasn't it? Yes. Um, just as we're on this, please let me just mention a couple of amazing quotes in uh, or little sections of the interview because it's a long interview with Teo Gutierrez, and actually it's very respectful, despite the fact that he's got this. It wasn't a corner on the front page, which I <laughs> obviously you know to try and sell more papers. That, that's absolutely fine. But there's a couple. It's a hit. A hit. Nothing's happening in the interview. I mean, we're into page almost no. three of it, but they go to him. Um, assisted Apia do you have do you go to therapy and he goes um, yeah we have a psychologist in the in the national team that's helped me a lot um, and here as well here being River Plate next question do you believe in psychology e not creo he goes no no I don't no not really so he completely um, contradicts himself in, in the space of literally seconds and then also there's, this is an amazing idea here he goes uh, the question is quien es tu ídolo who's your idol which, you know, the question is, like, basically, who have you modelled yourself on and who's your favourite player of all time? And Teo goes, Dios. <laughs> Teo, Teo has toned down over the last few years, but he's, he's just, still himself. He's just great entertainment. So, you this, know, he's, this is, he's this asked a question about... Who celebrated quite long and loud at the weekend after scoring <laughs> against one of his former clubs, by the way, by running up to the stands and doing gun signals out. Yeah. Uh, just a week after um, our good friend Sebastian Garcia got in a load of shit with a lot of Colombian fans on Twitter for making a joke about Teo being a gun maniac. <laughs> Completely unrelated, of course, I'm not suggesting that Teo had seen Serbia get in, in that trouble. But, uh, <laughs> it's still worth mentioning. But um, it, it's quite fitting that, that we sort of almost, by a roundabout route, uh, worked this up to. Uh, talking about uh, what's going on at the moment, uh, having having started off with the history of the fixture, because of course the last Super Classico six months ago was in La Bombonera. It was River's first victory with with the non corner. Um, it was their first victory in La Bombonera in a decade, yes. almost to the week, I think, um, yeah. not very far off. Um, and now they're seeking to revenge, avenge. Um, the 1-0 defeat they suffered this time last year to Boca in the Monumental both of last season's Super Clásicos ended competitive Super Clásicos at least ended in, in away victories um, River it must be said are not in bad form coming into this one particularly at home where they have won 14 matches in a row including the Sudamericana well, chance? you know what they say about you know derbies and form books and everything in windows, but but yeah, it's difficult to see River Plate not putting on a really strong performance, which means that while Boca have improved under Arrua Barrena, I mean the improvement's got to be even even more. I mean the performance for Boca has to be you know yeah ten points for every single player to get a result because you get the feeling that I mean River have just been sensational. 
this. And at the weekend as well against Lanús, where really tough game, they went a goal down, and they showed good character getting a goal back. Could have won it, they hit the post twice. Yeah. So not, not quite the, the kind of flowing, no, no, exactly. beautiful football we've seen, but a different side. But to, away to a great side, against exactly. Lanús, a really good side. So. And this is something that I wanted to mention, because in fact, since we last recorded, River have been held to two 1-1 draws, because we last recorded just before uh, they played Arsenal de Sarandí last Thursday in, in the uh, postponed match from uh, the seventh round of matches. Um, and both of those games finished 1-1, but both of them against teams that were very difficult to beat in their own stadiums, um, and and both away from home. Um, Lanús in particular, in fact, Lanús' uh, home unbeaten record in the league is, is as long as Rivers' is, it's 14 matches in the league, 13 matches, sorry, in the league. Uh, the difference being Lanús have, have drawn a few of those, whereas River have won all of them. Um, but, you know, it, it goes to show that we're not talking about bad results in spite of the fact that it yeah, okay, it's knocks River off their stride of those five or six wins in a row that they came There up. were three matches in up to, up to this moment that the River started, uh, started losing those matches and they recovered uh, one of them winning it with against San Lorenzo and the other, the other two, the last ones, the last two games you, you mentioned against Arsenal and Lanús. So it shows something different apart from the quality of the, of the play, which is the, the character, the, the personality, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and uh, even though they, they didn't have the touch of the ball that uh, impressed so much to, to media and, and supporters, they managed to, to have a lot of, of, of goal opportunities in which Teo, uh, Mora, uh, uh, Pesela, uh, then I think Poncio with a long distance show, so they had several goal opportunities Though the, the, the pitch was in bad condition because of rain, and incredibly, we have to watch about whether this uh, weekend, because it looks like it will be raining again, and that it's complicated for the the, the, the legs of well, it cuts legs obviously, and and, and he, it it makes uh, everything heavier. So we have to see about that also. And uh, speaking of rain, of course, last Thursday, as well as uh, Arsenal versus River, which ended 1-1, just before it, we had the last 34 minutes of Boca versus Racing, which Boca kicked off those last 34 minutes, uh, winning 1-0, and had the uh, the league turned over, slightly surprisingly, really, given that Racing are Racing, uh, by two goals from Gustavo Bull who uh, has lit up Twitter with the adaptability of his surname into other uh, <laughs> yes, great uh, strikers. Uh, I sent some, some to <laughs> Sebastian also. Bautistuta, 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 yes, a lot of them, because uh, it's very adaptive. The, the to me, he will still be go. He's, he used to, like, be called, instead of Bo, go. <laughs> <laughs> On account of the, of the number of goals, he used to uh, he used to miss it back in River Plate. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, he scored twice. He's had a good week, actually. And we'll get on to, obviously, as we say, the other matches at the weekend uh, later on. But he did score again at the weekend. Um, but those two goals meant that Boca actually lost uh, 2-1 um, at home to Racing. But apart from that, they've been, as, as Joel mentioned, they've improved a lot since Arroba Arena took over um, themselves in the league. That's their only defeat in five matches under Arroba. Barrena, I apologise. I can't get these R's out properly. I'm not. It's a hard surname. Um, it is if you don't know how to roll. Well, I, I know how to, but I can't. The Basque. Uh, yeah, just the Basque. The Basque. The Basque. Uh, 
Um, they've got three wins. They've got one draw. The uh, the the draw came away to Banfield, but the victory is a very impressive one on Arroyo-Arena's debut uh, against Venice Southfield and one nils away to Olimpo and at home on Sunday to Quilmes. It must be said that since that very very impressive uh, debut against Vélez they've struggled to to look as good again yeah. but the key point really is that the results are coming right it doesn't really matter about the the, the um, togetherness of the team and the spirit that they've showed and, and the defensive fortitude and, and just the ability to actually mark people from corners and stuff like that has improved immeasurably um, because one of the things that we slated Bianchi for over a, uh, what the year and a half that he was in charge of uh, for was that they didn't appear to spend any time whatsoever marking from corners which is another reason that the it wasn't a corner thing that River came up with um, after the, the non-corner from which they got the winner was, was a bit of a sort of seen as a bit of a ridiculous complaint from Bianchi because when your team are conceding so many piece, goals from set pieces I mean it's a bit rich to complain that it shouldn't have been a corner when you didn't bother marking from the corner on that basis um, I, I think that's Gunners Mora goal though is more Odeon's you think from yeah rather than any of the defenders mark oh you're yeah. right actually yeah, cause Cause he, he, did, came, he completely flattened the guy who was supposed to be completely came off I think if, if Odeon had stayed on his um, goal, going back to you know, game ages ago but still uh, if, if Odeon had stayed on his line I don't think the, the head is that well directed that it's completely out of reach mm. so yeah no, you're, you're right on that one, in fact. But, uh, the, but the, still, the general yeah. thing of, of Bocca's, uh, Bianchi's Bocca, sorry, not Bocca's Bianchi, um, being awful at marking from set pieces has certainly been uh, resolved, let's say, um, yeah. since Aro since Barrena took charge and the results have, have taken an, an uptick. But the two away performances so far, 1-0 away to Olimpo in a, a fairly unconvincing game and then the 1-1 draw away to Banfield where Banfield got a 90th minute equaliser this was last weekend but one week and a half ago um, but that equaliser really was thoroughly deserved Banfield were I thought the, the better side for most of the game they played very well um, do those give us some kind of clue of Boca finding things much easier in La Bombonera generally than I thought 1-0 against Kilmes at home wasn't that convincing was it well, wasn't their best match uh, since Arrobarrena is in charge of the, of the bench uh, at Boca but I must say that if they hadn't uh, been beaten by Racing in that 34 minutes which is something strange and uh, uh, Banfield hadn't uh, scored the, the draw in the last minute of the, of the game they would have four more points and in this case they would be with 17 points mm. which would make them Winning, uh, defeating River, being there one point bef- behind them. So how you can see how two matches, two only two matches, which were you can say controlled by by them and and escaped in the last minute or, or, or in thirty minutes, which is a short, very short match, can uh, uh, pro- prohibit them them from fighting for the title or being being, being a bit far away from the, the, the way they, they, they will want because uh, with 17 points they will say easily well I, we will beat uh, River and we will be there uh, in the with the in the second position and and, and, and this is it and River will be uh, they, 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 perhaps the Chardolai uh, will, will be stopped because there is always things like that that, that the, the rival supporters say perhaps if Gachardo 
River with Gallardo play uh, uh, loses a match, they will say the lie of Gallardo is, is, is stopped because mm. something like that. And it's two matches decide the, whether you are or not far, far or near from the from the top. Indeed, yeah, and and you know, let, let's uh, hope that Gashardo's lie continues. Well, let, let's hope it is, as as River fans, if it is indeed a lie, because uh, his yes. uh, this team are setting records that have existed for a very long time in River's history. They're they're breaking them. Gashardo is the second River Plate manager in their history to go through his first thirteen matches for the club without losing. Anyone know who the previous one was? Pelgeli, Gashego in nineteen ninety four. Mm. Yeah. After taking from uh, Pasarela was Yes, I think yeah. it was. Yeah. After Pasarela. Yes. Yeah. yes. Um, Matthias Kranovita, of course, we mentioned this last week, but he, he's been injured for the two draws and indeed is injured for the rest of the year. Uh, but he is currently with 12 consecutive wins. Uh, the uh, One of only about four players in Rivers history who's ever had 12 straight wins for the club. And if they win the next match that he takes part in, he will be the all-time record holder at the age of 21, uh, which isn't going bad. So this is a a Riverside who, admittedly, halfway through the championship, um, but are setting records that have been existed for a very long time. Yeah, all all the comparisons so far are with great championship winning sides. La Machina, Machina, the 90s, the 80s. team in the 80s. Uh, Gashego's 94 title winning team and they said they, they, they either levelled with or broke one of Gashego's 2000 uh, title winning side records yeah. as well I can't Those people compare this team with the, the perhaps the, the latest of the teams which uh, was like a spectacular uh, spectacular watching them which was the 1996-97 with yes. Ramon Diaz the three time champion and with Super Copa and Copa Libertadores to, to get a handle on how superior they've been so far, I think you almost don't look at the points tally, you can almost look at the goal difference and do it, because the second best, the, the team in second in the table, first of all, uh, Independiente, whose goal difference is plus two. The second best goal difference in the league is Lanús, who are third in the table, uh, who have a goal difference of plus five, and River's goal difference is 16. Um, ridiculous. They're also, of course, uh, now, they're the only side left in the league who are unbeaten, so it would just be perfectly fitting if uh, Boca handed them a first defeat and a first home defeat in, in ooh, eight months or so about eight months God I cross with the last team to beat them at home News was the, the other team ha- having uh, not, not having lost and well this weekend they, they lost finally indeed they did as, as we'll talk about in a couple of minutes before we go yes. to a break gents uh, what are your plans for Sunday uh, whereabouts are you going to be watching the game Andres I think my father has big TV in I, I, I won't be able to uh, to watch it there in the stadium, so I think it will be... Gustavo, are you going to watch? Uh, probably at home, uh, drenched into one of the, of the couches. And is it going to depend on whether your brother or your dad is with you as to who you're going to be supporting? Well, my dad is not, not here anymore, so... Ah, sorry. No, but uh, probably with my brother or either uh, with, with my sister and, and his uh, boyfriend also. River fan, Boca fan. So excellent. So you get to enjoy the stereo <coughs> of the. Uh, you will see the seventy goals. Which it must be said is, is more than I'll be getting, of course, if I do manage to land this ticket, because there are not going to be any Boca well, fans in the stadium. Um, well, actually, when when you're when you're not a fan of, of either of them, you get to actually make fun of everything. So it's yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Joe, I'll be there. Oh, you managed to land a ticket. Well, I'm, I'm a 
paid up member. Oh, I see. Right. No, yeah. we, Joel and I were talking uh, via email a couple of days ago about press uh, passes, and I knew that you hadn't got one of those. I didn't realize. Well, I failed miserably there, but I did get the. Uh, I paid up for this bono to be able to go and see um, Riverpoint. Well so, done. Yeah, yeah. So we're, no, but I'll, I'll be working. I'll, I'll be taking a, a very small camera because we're, we're doing a piece on Argentine football. Obviously, being super classical, we want, we want shots from that as well as the, the barking dog. And um, it's so, that yeah. time of the evening again, by the way, where I apologise for the dogs in the background, but we're going to talk over them. I'll only be going for a couple of minutes. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so I'll be there with a few friends. Excellent. I'm hoping, as I say, to be there as well uh, myself. ESPN want to send me but they were slightly late about letting me know they wanted to send me and the uh, deadline for, for press applications is already gone but hopefully ESPN Deportes I'm finding out on Thursday whether they're able to swing me an extra ticket as I say in the Sibori Media yeah so F- fingers future crossed. reference three weeks in advance yes I'll bear that in mind next time for now ladies and gents I'm going to play a little bit of music we're going to recharge our glasses and we shall be back in a minute to talk about the rest of the round because apparently there are 18 other sides in the Primera as well <laughs> I'd have thought it don't go away transition action um, we've already mentioned River and Boca's results of course and therefore we have already mentioned also Lanus and Kim results um, but let's just go over the, the score lines from the other games quickly and then we'll take, talk about the main talking points uh, Friday had uh, on the face of it just reading out the scoreline, it sounds like a, th- a five-goal thriller, but in fact it wasn't really, it was quite one-sided. Um, Estudiantes beat Vélez Sarsfield 3-2. On Saturday, Independiente beat Central 2-0. Atletico de Rafaela and Olimpo drew 0-0. Gimnasia beat San Lorenzo 2-0 away from home. Um, and to follow up with that, both San Lorenzo and Olimpo just played before we started recording, and San Lorenzo with a 2-0 win at home. Uh, that's the That was postponed from the first weekend of matches. Uh, Tigre beat Defensa Justicia uh, 2-1 sorry, on Sunday Belgrano lost 4-1 at home to the Racing Club with Gustavo Bautistuta um, scoring two of those goals and is it, it's Marcos Acuna isn't it scoring the other two um, Boca as we say beat Quilmes 1-0 Lanús and River drew 1-1 and then on Monday 3-0 to Arsenal against Godoy Cruz and 3-0 to Banfield away to Newell's Old Boys which was Newell's first defeat of the season and let's start with that one because Banfield have shown an admirable sort of desire to get forward and, and attack and, and entertain throughout this uh, season so far it's not always gone particularly well for them because they haven't always bothered to pay much attention to what's happening at the other end of the pitch um, but they've sort of improved I think a little bit even though they lost three straight games 1-0 I thought they were slightly sort of improving a bit in that respect and now they're starting to click attacking as well we, we mentioned that the previous match for them was that 1-1 draw at home to Boca with a last minute equaliser that could not possibly have been more deserved um, and now a very impressive performance against what it must be said was a bafflingly awful Newell's performance on Monday did anyone else see the game? No no, no. and watched but Perfect. looks like they scored the goals that they, they couldn't score before 
all the matches that had a lot of of of, of goal goal opportunities and, and, and not a good uh, good strike or good uh, uh, match uh, shots on, on goal because. They were just very, very good at keeping the pressure on. Ricardo Neuer opened the scoring with the kind of finish that I think he, Boca were always hoping that he would get when he was with them and never actually ended up producing. Walter Eviti with a diving header with the second and Juan Casares, the former uh, River youngster, of course, at Talking River and Boca, we've had both of them scoring for Banfield, um, with a, a fine finish from, from a counter-attack. But Newell's were just terrible. Just really... Lifeless, careless in defence, which with Victor Lopez at least at the bat they haven't tended to be, and he was playing, but they were still crap. Um, and in front of their own fans as well, it was very bizarre because they had a very long unbeaten record at home themselves uh, prior to that game. Um, and that that's why Newells aren't one of the uh, the, the, the main they, teams who are up. They have only, only two that. two players left from from the Martino era, right? right. Really, Max, Just two. Max, Max, Martinez and Scoco. And, and then Kakos got and Mateo, come back, of course. Yeah, Mateo. Wow. Yeah, I think it's Kassar's there still. Well, Marcos Kassar's in, in that case. In that case, will be Milton Casco. Yes. Was he not? Yeah, Casco's yeah. there. He's injured. Tom Tom's still there as well. We'll be fine with him. Yes. Yeah, I think Bernard Bernard Bernardi as well. They've got plenty of Andres. No, but no, I think no. But Andres got point. I think it's about. But they lost some key players. Four or five players. Wasn't going to justify, but. I think I thought it were were less players from that uh, era than, than there are. So uh, it's 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 yeah. one of the the things though because they have had a sort of lack of continuity since Martino left, um, and it hasn't really been. You, you almost get the impression watching them, and it is a bunch of different players. You could be forgiven for thinking it because they're playing like a bunch of strangers at times. Yeah. Where well, it just um, proves and they largely this season, as we say, they've, they've looked better because they were unbeaten before this weekend, but. They were bafflingly awful on, on Monday. I, I couldn't work out why. It makes sense that Banfield are pulling it together, though, as well. I mean, everyone last last season, everyone was calling him, you know, Banfield the loner and all these ridiculously poor puns. Barcelona on, of the uh, Yeah, Barcelona yeah. of the Because, you know, they were, they were playing really nice football in the, in the second division, and you expected that there's no reason why they shouldn't have uh, maintained that. So. And even Martino said that he admired how Banfield and, and Maida, with, with being the coach, they try to to continue with the idea, uh, no matter the result, which is uh, they, they they everyone or a lot of people uh, say that they they have an, like an offensive uh, style of play with a lot of strikers or, or at least uh, uh, when they are attacking they attack with a lot of people and that is something that they haven't uh, uh, quit even though they they, they lost a lot, lot of matches or, or not. When when you don't get the results, perhaps you start thinking, why 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 am I losing? I, I will change this, will change that, and in this case they like continue with the idea, and well, yeah. at least they had a, a very good uh, victory. But they were left, uh, they were last before before winning news, I think they were with seven points uh-huh. and, and, and last last position, and being last with those results that they didn't come. Uh, you, you perhaps start thinking uh, to change the Man, style of play or, or, the, or the draw. Well, uh, so it's it's good to have teams that play like that, and, and no matter the result, they they try to insist. And boardrooms who show a little bit of medium to long term thinking as well, rather than just after three defeats saying, <laughs> "Oh, you know, you've got to get a point at the weekend, Matias or 
well, you're out. But I'd, uh, on a related note, this, of course, is Matias Almeida's this season. It's his kind of chance for revenge on the Primera after we all, I think, I can't remember exactly who was, I think you might have been here, Joel, after he was sacked from River. Mm-hmm. Um, those of us who were recording uh, that, that week after that all really felt that it was pretty harsh on him to, to have been let go. River weren't setting the world on fire like they are at the moment, but they were getting fairly decent results. Um, and to that extent, you know, he, he dropped down in division again, he took charge of Banfield, he's taken them back up. It's the second um, time in as many attempts that he's won promotion from the B to the A. Uh, to the Primera, sorry, it's not called the Primera ah, anymore, um, from the B to the Primera. Um, and he has... So, so this is a second sort of bite at the cherry for him of uh, uh, at the Primera. And how much, if you were him, if you were in his shoes, would you feel like you really needed to to really impress people and to prove a few people wrong this time around? Because there are some people who are saying that he's just not cut out for this level on the basis of what was actually not about performance at all in charge of River I think the jury is still out so we talk about his attacking style when he left River Plate he was ending games with five attackers on the pitch and I'm not sure if this is slight level of just I'm not sure how calculated it is and how much he's got a very clear idea of what he wants to do or whether he just says I'll tell you what let's just whack on another strike and I'm sure we'll score another goal if we've got another one on um, so because with River Plate in the second division they didn't have a style they didn't find their, their, their uh, they didn't you know you didn't t- turn up to watch River Plate and think you know roughly how they're going to play now with Gachardo you know how River going to play they're going to try and pass it you know who the players where who's going to be you know under Almeida they didn't really have that and it's not a criticism because the pressure that was on him was so yes. big that uh, that you couldn't really develop a style of play. So it's fair enough. But I think with Banfield, I'm still not quite sure. Mm. You know, he, he obviously tries to. He wants to play attacking football. He's from that River Plate school of thinking and the way the game should or ought to be played. Um, even though he himself wasn't that style of player, but nonetheless, you know, I think he, he tries to attack. He wants to, but I don't know quite whether he's. You say if you take Almeida and put him in another club quite how they play I don't think he's, he's got a very set style well it depends on the club you place him in and the situation he is in when he was in River Plate he was in a difficult situation in a club that was in the second division for, for the first time in, in its history he was getting pulled to, to, to do hatchet jobs for the president that were yeah. actually not in his liking he was not fully budgeted for the players he actually wanted and when he basically found himself in um, in Banfield, he found a, a club that used to be in the Primera División, but had bounced on and off the Primera División for quite a bit. He had a, he had a basis of players that were, were good, but he actually took it upon himself to call also some of the players of some of the youngsters that he knew from River Plate and other clubs, such as Casares. Mm. And maybe now he's not like like that fully budgeted or what what he really needs but with what he has and no further expectations he can pull like better results or or uh, or really uh, give his style to the team that he wants mm. he has <coughs> he has very good players he has for example Bert, uh, several former Boca and real players of course uh, Bertolo um, he has Noir he has Salcedo Casares 
Erviti. Yes, because yeah, it's he's also at, at the other end of the, um, of the of the pitch. Nicolas Bianciarse, who former Arsenal, right? That was. And also Nicolas Tagliafico, who, yeah. when Hand of Pods started, we were all talking about as a definite nailed on future Argentina left back. Mm. And I mean, he's still only like 22 or so now. We might well still still make that leap to Europe. I think he's been to Europe and come back. I can't he was remember at, what he was at Murcia. Well done. In Spain. Oh, that's very good knowledge, Joe. I'm just, impressed. Just, I remember. Useless piece of information like where he was on loan for a season. You know, <laughs> but t- talking about the, the number of strikers you put in the in the in the, in the pitch, uh, perhaps is something you need because you want to, you you must turn around the result. Or your idea is that is to play offensively and, and to try to press like River, for, for example, does to to try to asphy- asphyxiate the the, yeah. the, 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 the rival uh, and, and and to explain why you, you want to say to to play like that because it's looks like River, for example, uh, Gachardo has calculated everything and, and the players want, knows, know, uh, all the players know what to do at every moment of the match, which is very difficult to, to, to achieve. The players know, well, uh, before they, 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 they do the, the, the play, they, they do something, they want that they will do it, perhaps, mm-hmm. because they have been working and, and, and the journalists mm-hmm. that cover the, the training sessions say that the, the same thing that they watched in the matches are the things that work in the, in the training, yeah. which is not very common. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's just sorry, very quickly. It's just it's strange how many people will maybe say, "Oh, it's fine." Gajardo took on a, a, a title-winning side. River play under Ramon Diaz didn't play well. I mean, they won the title, but they they weren't very impressive last year. And, and I think what's really incredible is how That's much. He's improved the team without yeah. without bringing in many other players. I mean, and we the, the related the... way, and it's kind of related to the Super Classico as well. That my girlfriend's dad put it at the end of last season. Um, when that whole kind of last day stuff came together, we already knew River had won the title. But when the other results combined to mean that Boca unexpectedly leapfrogged Velas Nestudiantes into mm. second place, um, and my girlfriend's dad is is a Boca fan, and the way that he put it to me when I told him this was. Uh, the fact that this Boca team have finished second in the league says a lot more about the league than it does about Boca, and it's in that context. And he wasn't trying. He 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 is not a you know rabid kind of full of of what the Spaniards would call morbo. Uh, he wasn't trying to do down River's title win. He was making a genuine point about how pathetically he thought Boca were playing. But it also speaks volumes about just how impressive that Ramon Diaz River side were. They were a title winning side. They won. A good portion of their games, they, they they got a decent number of points. But it must be said, it wasn't in the strongest Primera División no, uh, campaign no. in living memory. Um, whereas this side, this Gachardo uh, Riverside, look head and shoulders above it. It's it's night and day. We were talking about uh, surveys just earlier, just before we started the uh, the pod, and there was quite an interesting survey that um, on on Ole, which I think we were talking about, right? Which mm. is which is the team you've most enjoyed watching? That was the yeah. Rough idea behind it uh, in the last you know however many years, and it was Udakan, coached by Kappa, was the the winning team. He didn't win a the, title. That's not forgetting. Which didn't win a title. <laughs> and the Yulon support was the I think they bought the. Oh, was oh, was that what it was? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, no, I thought it was interesting that 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 team was first, then Gasharov's team, mm. um, very close by. So I mean, yeah, I think that's 
there's, there's yeah, showing yeah. you very you know, clearly how, how, if, how, it's, how if it's specified that you don't support then I'm even more confused about how Falcioni's Bocca managed to get 7% <laughs> yeah. on that vote they got the same percentage of votes as Garreca's Veles which is just and talking of Veles yeah, she was independent feature in, what, the, in that one no. the 2002 no, no, they didn't. That's um, that uh, was a team that used to win like seven to one on some cases. Oh uh, yeah. We may as well talk about Independiente yes. then very briefly. Yeah. Very impressive performance for them against Central um, on Saturday, and they are now, as I talk, just about to kick off. Five minutes away from kick off um, in the Copa Argentina against the Estudiantes. Both of those sides, in fact, won at the weekend because the Estudiantes got that three-two over Venice, um, which, as I said earlier, sounds like a thriller when you say it like that 3-2 but in fact it really wasn't uh, watching the game Meles took a fairly early lead through a penalty and then Estudiantes battered them for the whole game Estudiantes took a 3-1 lead in the 90th minute and Meles pulled one back in stoppage time but really very impressive performance from Estudiantes and they've been really peculiar Estudiantes so far this season have you seen their record? their home, their home and away split? no tell they've us won, about it they've won in the league they've got a 100% record at home and they have got a 100% record of losing their away mm. games, with the exception of one, of course, the La Plata Clásico, uh, the previous weekend, which finished nil-nil in the Estadio Único in their own uh, stadium. Uh, the Vélez game was took part in took place, sorry, in Quilmes, in fact, um, not in La Plata. So it even holds true we can for the home next, matches, which are actually home matches. We can say the next player that will be sold in the in the Argentine football, I think. Cameron plays for Estudiantes. It's Correa. He will, definitely will, I think. Oh, sorry, you're not talking about a story that's broken, you're talking about what we think is going to... Yeah, yes, I think... Uh, we can certainly say it's going to be somebody with the surname Correa, because that, uh, at the moment, yes, picking up a Correa's, decent young yeah. attacking player um, is fairly easy in Argentine football. If their surname is Correa, we've got Angel, Joaquin, <laughs> Jorge, uh, Vélez, um, and I think there's at least one other. Uh, Eric. Generally, they're all pretty good. Eric, yes, well done, yeah. Uh, Gimnasia, yeah, you're quite right. Um... And yes, but Estudiantes, night and day, home and away. Um, it, it's quite bizarre. Tigre defence Justicia. What do we think about Gustavo Alfaro's revival at Tigre? He's managed twice as many victories in three matches as Fabiano Allegro had managed in the first six of their season. I'm a big fan of Alfaro. I have a lot of time for him. Anyone who writes a riposte to Ole quoting Nietzsche... <laughs> Need, when, when did he do this, John? You, can, you need to give our listeners some background on this, and me as well, because I haven't heard about it. Uh, Alfaro was is is the most successful coach in Arsenal de Sarandí's history, uh, having, <laughs> having, having, having long and glorious, <laughs> <laughs> having been the coach when uh, Arsenal won every single major title that they Copa Sudamericana and Suruga, uh, yeah, so Sudamericana league title, yeah. Um, so so he's he's done very well then, but he was very. Um, he didn't take kindly to a suggestion in an editorial that Ole wrote about how um, Arsenal received help. Even though it was definitely true. I mean, far would it be from uh, from Hop to, to, to talk about that. But um, yeah, so he, he didn't take very kindly to it. So he wrote uh, an open letter to Ole, which they published, fair play to them. Um, I recommend Googling it. It's a good little read. And um, he quotes Nietzsche, he quotes Einstein, and... Um, <laughs> And it's good, it's good, and it, it's, it's a valid point, because we I went down and did a story with him, and, you know, 
sure Arsenal had had help here and there. It and they got good players on loan. I mean, they had a lot of help. That's fine, but it's still a tiny club with no budget. Um, and you, you've still got to trade. You've still got to play games. You've still got to be there. And he, he organised the team very well. Um, I mean, they won probably the worst season in the last ten years or so. But they still did it. I mean, they were the best of the bad bunch. That's fine. But um, no, he, he organised his team pretty well. Did with the resources that he had very well. And, um, and I just think he's quite open. He's, he's, he, uh, he explains the game very well. He's quite he's good interviewee to listen to. And um, so, yeah, so uh, good for him. And crucially, before he took charge at Tigre this season, their record was played six, won one, drawn one, lost four. Since he took charge in the league, their record is played two, won two. Both of those have been at home, but still, there's not much arguing with it, is there? Um, one thing, by the way, just to go back to Banfield very briefly, one thing I did want to mention to them was that I slagged off Gaspar Serbio earlier this season for being a terrible goalkeeper and said Banfield, uh, after conceding six goals in their first two matches, couldn't wait to get Enrique Bologna back between the sticks. And I think Serbio has been the most improved goalkeeper in the Primera so far this season because he's turned into actually looking fairly decent most of the time now. Um, and that, made, I, the reason that that came to mind was uh, the comment that Peter made after uh, Fabian Allegri was sacked that uh, Javier um, Garcia of Tigre would be enormously sad to see Allegri go because he'd probably have more clean sheets than anybody else under Allegri. <laughs> um, but unfortunately Allegri, in spite of a fairly decent range of attacking talent at Tigre, couldn't get them to score goals and Alfaro seems to have done that uh, in spite of the Copa Argentina exit to Rosario Central. Um any other major talking points on the weekend? Racing, 4-1 away to Belgrano. Is this the season where Racing maybe stop looking like Racing and end up not winning the title anyway because River is so rampant? Because well, we, all of a sudden they're not looking completely and totally awful. Well, we all thought that Coca was terribly... Uh, uh, had made a terrible mistake uh, uh, saying, uh, well, uh, the things that they, they, they should have said in the dressers uh, to the players said publicly like there are players that haven't done the click to, to play for Racing or, or or I prefer to to fight for the title than winning the the, the, the classic the classic against Independiente and, and yeah, that's, that's, like, that's one thing you just like just know like just common sense that you don't say yes right. and, and then players like uh, like won't shake hands with you after that like uh, I players, players can 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 stop believing him and in this case well it was the other way around it's incredible how uh, well and Bo had had scored had scored five goals in in two three matches it is uh, I think this the third uh, goal, goal scorer in the, in the in the tournament so yeah five in five goals in three games yes. it all played in the space of a week of course because uh, he scored the only goal in the one one draw uh, at home to Newell's the and, and Milito in, in the in playing playing is something very very different uh, even uh, not scoring but assisting Profit is the the equalizer against Boca was a, a very very good I do, I do feel it's only fair to just mention once again and it's far from the first time we've said this on Underpod what a complete and total idiot Ricardo Centurion is <laughs> because he went against Belgrano on Saturday he went or, or Sunday one of the two at the weekend he went from in the space of half a second from possibly about to 
get Belgrano's goalkeeper Juan, Man, uh, Juan Carlos Olave sent off to really probably should have been sent off himself for his reaction to something. He was lying on the floor after a clash of heads. Uh, sorry, after an accidental elbow to his head. Um, twitching and generally looking completely out for the count. He was being treated. Olave walked over to him and said something in his ear and sort of... Olave afterwards claimed that he hadn't touched him at all, but it looked like he sort of gently tapped him on the elbow and, and said, you know, get up. And Centurion's reaction is to violently kick Olave in the back of the legs, right in front of the referee. Um, and, I mean, it should have been a red card. The referee didn't show him anything at all. But the referee... We've been talking about this for years, since he first broke through a mm-hmm. wrestling, what, two years ago? He's a complete and total idiot. He got a red card a couple of weeks ago for celebrating a first-minute goal by tearing his shirt off and picking up his first booking and then clattering through somebody about an hour later. To be fair, that clattering through was probably a... That could have been a straight red yeah, in exactly, itself, but exactly. the point was... No, no, was, of course. He yeah. was only shown a yellow, and yeah. he would have got off with just a bookie if it hadn't been for tearing off your shirt to celebrate a goal in the first minute. Yeah, I, I would... I mean, if I was a coach, which was... Well, but, I mean, I would put enormous fines on my players... If they get yellow cards, start pick, even start accumulating them, and you, then after accumulating yeah. five yellow cards or whatever, you know, if it's got, stoppage time in the World Cup ridiculous. final and you take yeah, your shirts off, you can enough. understand it. But it's a, it's a, it's a home game against Newell's old boys in the, a third of the way through the first division season. He's an idiot. Um, anyway, just wanted to get that so, off my chest. Well, what Sam says is, if you are going to kick a player, do it with not with not with the referee watching. I'm saying don't do it. <laughs> get you a red card. Admittedly, I'm saying don't do it because it can get you a red card rather than don't do it because it's nasty, but still. Um, That, ladies and gents, concludes our review of the weekend. And now we'll go away and we will come back in a second and answer a few questions. So don't go anywhere. Quite a few this week, so we'll work through them fairly quickly. Chris Hartley, first of all, says, if it's not been asked already, how will third-party ownership ban affect the Argentine game? And that, I thought, was an excellent question. To that end, we've actually had another question as well via email, which goes into slightly more details from David Ellingham, who has not asked us any questions before. He says, first of all, a couple of related ones, how prevalent is third-party ownership within within Argentine football? Secondly, how big an impact will this ban have on the short-term funding of clubs? I may be wrong, but I think River sold their rights to Balanta so they could balance their end-of-year accounts or something similar. And thirdly, will this ban finally lead to Argentine clubs taking a medium to long-term approach to their funding, or are they already looking at ways to circumvent this measure due to my second question? Uh, The first thing to mention is, and I think, Joel, you're the person who covers River more than any of us, so you might be able to give us an inside line on whether that Balanta thing is correct because I don't think it is is it they've still got Balanta yeah they? I don't think it is I, I think they, they, do they did sell Lancini because they needed to balance the end of year account that, that, that much is yeah sure and they, did, they did want to sell him <coughs> but they wanted a lot of money for him and rightly so um, to be honest individual circumstances with players rights is neither here nor there because third party ownership is going to be phased out it's not that you know, in January 2015, yep. no no player can be have any it's of their rights. So it's going to be phased out. So it, it means that over the 
coming three years or so, which is what FIFA said it would take, uh, they'll be slowly but surely phased out. So I mean, it's you know there is time still for this to to carry on, and it's not that all of a sudden because you know otherwise you say well hang on uh, as a if the third party owns let's say thirty percent of Valanta, which is probably I don't know the exact uh, amount, but let's say they do. Well, hang on, who's going to reimburse us this? And River, River Plate definitely can't do that. So so how does this work? This is why it needs time just to, to start being normalised. And the other point, of course, as well, is that you have the you have economic rights and federative rights, and 100% of the federative rights have to be owned by the club. Yeah. So the economic rights are almost sort of like owning shares in the federative rights. It's, it's slightly so, murky. But River, it's my understanding, and using River as, as an example, because it's, it's a club where I'm pretty sure it does happen, is it something like ten or fifteen percent of each player is owned by that player's family? Yeah. So the the family do get, and and that's not. There's a okay. way. Of, no, there's a way there, around. There's, that. De- there's definitely a way of, of, of gaming that system if, if if you're an evil Jorge Mendes style person who wants to game the system. But it's also not really a way that's bad for football in and of itself, right? There's there's nothing. No, it's, oh, it absolutely is. Sorry, sorry. You have to, It means they have to. The reason for this is they have to bribe families to keep their players, to keep their, their kids at that club, because otherwise they'll take them to Racing, Independiente, or okay. wherever. So on the one hand it is, on the other there's a very simple way around this, which is in their clause. They say, right, this player belongs to River Plate, but in, your, in his contract we're writing that you will receive 20% in the same way that you get the... Sure. the I mean, the system has always existed elsewhere, you know, that you get buy a payout clause or whatever. Yeah. Well, so it's just a way around yeah, it. Yeah, we see more... more uh, Every time we see more these clauses in the in the contracts, that uh, after a, se- a resale of the player, the yeah. the, the, the former club receives exactly, exactly. a, a also, percentage, yes, ten percent, twenty, fifteen. Yes. Also, who's not who's uh, going to guarantee that we are not going to go back to the triangulation scheme that used to happen between the between clubs? Still does happen all the time. But There's a player sold a couple of months ago from Deportivo Maldonado, who he never played for, to a European. No, so. Cardinal, Ruli, who Ruli. used to who used to and do Ronimo that. Ruli, when he moved to Estudiantes for, uh, from Estudiantes to Real Sociedad, he was um, sold from to from Estudiantes to Deportivo Maldonado in Uruguay, and then on to Real Sociedad. Yeah. And what used to happen with River and Locarno and those yeah, so from, yeah, yeah. from from clubs that used that are are used to be in, in fiscal paradises, they the, at some point that they stopped that happening with uh, with clubs that were on on those uh, on those fiscal paradises, but who's not to grant us that that's going to happen with a, I don't know with a third division team here in Argentina, and still. Um, Retain ownership of the players, but uh, work much more on a loan basis. Yeah, with players and clubs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wouldn't be surprising. Um, but it's a very interesting issue, this, and it, and it affects Argentina massively because every single club does this. Uh, Independiente with Cantero is very interesting that they published. So there are very few people. There's not that much information about this. This is the point that no one quite knows what's what's going on. Independiente published uh, on the Gandera, as I said, the um, the percent who owned what of the first team squad, and it's very interesting. There, about forty percent of the squad was partly owned by third party third parties. Yeah. So um, it's going to affect the game massively. Our second question is from someone called Andres Bruckner. No, no idea. Uh, who says what is Gago looking for when he bans any comments from Boca Juniors players before facing River Plate? 
Andres, would you well, like to answer your own question? No, I get the impression it might be rhetorical. Newspapers this this week report that the one who uh, said the players not to talk were, was Arrobarena, the, the, the coach. Yeah. But one month ago, about, uh, approximately, Gago told their teammates, his teammates, not to talk with press because there was all the Bianchi and, and Arrobarena, the change of, of, of manager and of coach and uh, uh, it was uh, there was a lot of, 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 of things on media and that stuff and, and and I think that what he wanted to do was to well stop the rumors to, to come from 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 newspaper newspapers but uh, I, I, I read someone who said that Gao hates journalists because when he was at Madrid uh, covering the, the, the well, sports from from that city, he said that that he hate hate journalists, so it's not no surprise that he tried players not to talk the, the, the week before Super Classico, which is the most important for at least for supporters. Who I admit that the ones that live Super Classico, like some the most important thing in their lives is supporters. For the players, it's important, but it's one match, one more match, match that gives three points, and this their 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 job. To play football, of course, it is. But uh, the, the ones that live the, the, the Super Classico, that they, they perhaps don't sleep for two nights uh, trying to get a ticket and, and, and do crazy things, are, yeah. are, they, are the supporters. Players sleep on their beds, they go and train, to do the training sessions, and, and then play the match, try to win it, of course. But then. Uh, but So it's surprising the, the, that attitude from Gago, which is. Uh, and, not so much. Like, yeah, like, for example, uh, following Independiente's uh, example, you know that trash talking River is just not worth it, yeah. or that or just doesn't no, work. We didn't mention this at the time, so just uh, fill us in with what Independiente um, um, said. It was Rolfi Montenegro. Uh, they say uh, Rolfi Montenegro, if I'm not wrong, said that he found some flaws in the in the river in the river tactics and. Uh, also, Almiron said that there were. I don't. I don't remember that much. He said like he was they, looking forward to they winning. They talked quite a lot in the days before the the match about uh, how they were going to go to the Monumental and get a result. And uh, the result, they, they got a result. The result was a four-one defeat. Um, so yes, yes. But also, you you get like in Boca's case, uh, and especially knowing what has happened over the last few months with with Bianchi and. And the preseason and the preseason media banter and all that stuff. They know that, uh, like for example, having Angelici or uh, or Crespi at the top, uh, talking so much ahead of a, of a derby is just not worth it. The, the idea of not talking, I think, was uh, um, to to well, of course, focus on the match and, and not uh, give so much information, but. Uh, well, I forgot what I was going to say. So, I, I would just say that it may. I mean, it's it's Argentine football is very slowly sort of dragging its feet into the twenty first century, and in terms of you know the clubs and, and their online presence, in terms of how the clubs operate, and in terms of how the clubs train, and also um, how they how they obviously they deal with the media. And, and I mean, it's very common now. I mean, in in, in England, you, you don't have mixed zones. For example, in the Premier League, you don't have a mix zone. You know, here, it's taken for granted that you will have mix zone, and that anyone, you know, 
Hand of Pod could probably get accreditation for a game and yeah. go and get in the mix zone. And, you know, if so and so, if Diego Melito sees you and he fans it, you know, he will stop and you can get Diego Melito. You can't do that in any, any, every single country. I mean, in Spain they haven't. Point is that, you know, the World Cup, I mean, no team gives individual no um, um, interviews. You know, it's all just press conferences, and that's kind of the way that the game's going. Lots of everyone's producing in-house interviews, and then that's that's it. You know, there's, it's very difficult to get one-on-one. So, um, and Gago's seen the uh, seen the way it works in Europe. So, I mean, I wonder if there's part of that. But at the same time, I think he does dislike us. Yes, it was <laughs> was to the players not to talk uh, particularly with some journalists. They of course allowed them to to, to talk on com- press conference. In fact, was him the captain uh, of Boca who who, who talked on, on press conference and was subtle, wasn't so so uh, spicy with his declarations. But uh, yes, I think it's it's a game uh, of words, of course. Uh, like like some said, I'm not talking about the the the, the, the river it was inflated, and and then they well received four goals. Yeah. Perhaps that that is learning from that. Perhaps also yeah, yeah. not to talk a lot uh, before the match, but like Acharo said, uh, talk more in the in the in the stadium in the pitch. Also, so many of the Boca players in the in the recent past have been caught uh, precisely doing those spicy declarations in, in the newspapers, and it can't help. I I can remember at least four, Chavez, a week ago or so when they played Banfield. Cata Diaz, eh, Chiqui Pérez, yeah, yeah. It, it, it cannot help them in any way. Yeah, yeah it doesn't produce, there's nothing positive that comes mm. from it. Yeah, yeah. Ian Matheson uh, says, in our opinion, is... Just wait for the dog. And my neighbour shutting him up. Uh, says, hi Sam, in our opinion, is Tomas Martinez the real deal or is he another Lancini? Ooh, that's naughty. Slash Fabro. Less harsh on Fabro, I think, but Lancini. I don't know. I've, I've, I know what he means because I've, um, I'm on record as thinking that Lancini should have perhaps done a bit more than he did uh, by the age that he is. But Tomas Martinez, a 17 year old, is he coming through at River at the moment? Um, is one of a, a sort of coterie of players uh, who Gachardo is. My word. Somebody. In the next room, he's got a very strong opinion on Tomas Martinez. Clearly, I'm going to continue to talk over him. I was I was in, assured last time we recorded here that, that people actually enjoyed the dogs, uh, so I'm going to continue talking. Tomas Martinez is is one of a, a coterie, as I say, of, of players being brought through by by Gachardo. The others um, being Lucas Boschet, uh, the striker. Um, the other one, Driusi. Thank you. Triusi and a couple of others um, who Gachardo is basically he has the luxury uh, but it's a kind of self-created luxury of being able to send them on uh, with 20 minutes or so to go of matches that River are already looking fairly comfortable in to give them some confidence and Tomas Martinez is, is the next number 10 at River this, this side who produced so many great number 10s from their, their youth academy um, what do we think of him? We've not, we've not seen him, by the way, for a full first team match yet. Of course, that's worth pointing out in the Copa Argentina. Yes, but not. I think you, you you hit the nail on the head there with when you pointed to how he's using the youth team players very sparingly, and that 
previous coaches have. I mean, Ramon just kicked, just threw on um, Fede and Andrada, along with Gio Simeone as the front two uh, early on. The average age of like 18 and a half. And whereas Gachardo, sure, he has the luxury of having Morda and and Theo to do that, but he's 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 blooding them very slowly but surely. And and I think the same is happening with Thomas Martinez. All all I, I haven't seen him that much, but people who have in the reserves and in the youth teams really speak very highly of him. Oh, he's a, a style of player that we haven't seen for, and much more of a ten than Lancini is. There were like five or four players that used to play that played together in River. Uh, across the 7th, 6th, 5th and 4th division of the youth teams and those, some of those were Andrada, no, sorry, Andrada was 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 there before Simeone, Kaprov, eh, mm. Tomás Martínez, uh, amongst them, so the, like... Kranaviter as well, Kran- Kran- maybe one, Driussi, one of uh, higher is um, now and there's, breaking it, doesn't it? There's like, like some expectation from them, but... Uh, it also has to do with the, with the period they they play in. Like for example, you had some great players that came out of River Plate with a te, with a um, with a number ten shirt that didn't didn't do so well, or at least didn't do at first so well in River, due to the period they play in like Conca, or you get some that are widely celebrated like D'Alessandro. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that main difference is that, for example, like Joel said about Ramon Diaz uh, putting on on. on to play Drusi uh, and Simeone together uh, Andrade and Simeone together chat for Drusi as well he threw Drusi as well or Drusi yeah. is that perhaps they might thought that if they are players uh, and they are at River is because of something and because yeah. they have the capability of, of, of playing well but it's big responsibility to play from the beginning from the from the first minute and for example Martinez Boche who are players that for Gallardo are on the on the first team, putting them when River is winning and comfortably. And no, this is a difference. Not to decide the match. It strikes me as a bit of a difference in, in terms of mentality as well, because it's also something that Gachardo tried to do early in the season against Gimnasia, the very first first round away from home. He started with a strike force of was it Mora alongside um, uh, Boche yes. with the starting. And he realised, he seemed to realise quite quickly because he also started with Poncio as the number five. The very next match, it was Mora and Teo up front and Cranavita back in as the number five. And it's not necessarily an age thing because he realised that Cranavita was was the number five whose style better fitted River with the river that he wanted to create with, with a side that dominate possession and, and move the ball around. Um, but he seemed to realise that, in fact, just possibly throwing the kids on up front and hoping that they will get goals... Is putting a bit too much pressure on them. Whereas Ramon Diaz was trying to do it and then was going out and saying things after the match like, if I'd been up front in that game, I'd have got tired of scoring and yeah, these guys yeah. can't get one. Uh, it's not brilliant if you're bringing through an 18 year old striker to go and go out, or two 18 year old strikers but, uh, but, to then go out afterwards and, and say that. As kind of I say, it's not the same to, to, to uh, putting a player with the, the game 2 nil, 3 nil, and putting him with the responsibility of, of scoring the goals. Uh, by themselves and, and with this structure of the t- of team, Ponce is, is is doing good, which was a doubt, uh, of course, big doubt because uh, he 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 was uh, uh, he I think he spilled the the possibilities he had and in this case he he's like uh, 
he has a back a, 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 background. a background with the team which uh, which is solid which is uh, 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 working itself and it's like the player you put in the in the, in the team uh, that's good it's, it's a, in good uh, performance because the team plays different uh, it's not that he might do something totally uh, personal he 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 gets with the team and plays like the team plays mm, absolutely um Richard Murphy says, uh, hi lads, great show. Thank you very much, Richard. Praise will get you everywhere. Um, he says, what are the typical salaries in the Argentine league for top clubs and for smaller clubs? That's a hell of a question. Anyone want to try and answer it? I can give you a third division salary. What's a third division salary, Gustavo? Between 15,000 and 60,000 pesos a month. A month. Yeah. Yeah. To give you an idea, sixty thousand, like a thousand dollars, yeah, thousand dollars, and the blue value up to four thousand dollars, yeah, and that, the, and the, this the, is the, not extreme sorry, bonuses. Gustavo, Gustavo says the blue value that basically means the black market, um, market value of the dollar. Must be foreign. This just might be familiar with that term, but yeah, carry on. Must um, be around uh, one thousand and four thousand dollars on the, on the black market value, uh, and this is not including. Uh, Bonuses or what we call primas. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bonuses. Yeah. So it's a it's a decent amount, but it's not an amount that people are going to be able to retire on. Well, I think that Riquelme, when he was at Boca, was on a what a one million dollar a year. Yeah, contract, that's what I was going to say. He was best best paid player. And he was, was by a distance. Yeah. The best played player in the Premier League. I think Cavanaghi and and Chori won about four hundred thousand mm. when they came when they went to River in, in a couple of years ago. And, and these in Argentina are considered astronomical wages, so that should give you some idea. We're sorry that we can't answer in more detail. Uh, Toby Millard says, nice easy one this week. Who is the player or team who made you fall in love with Argentine football? I'm guessing that that question is more aimed at myself and Joel than at the two <laughs> Argentines who didn't really have a choice but to watch Argentine football. <laughs> right? But guys, uh, Andres and Gustavo, do you want to give us a, a brief answer? First of all. Whilst me and Joel rack our brains. <laughs> One team that made made us fall in love with Argentinian football. Or player. Uh, For you guys, it'll basically be who was the first player you saw who you know made you love yes. football. Pablo yeah. Me and Joel have got to think a bit more about it. Tough one. I know. Pablo Okay. This is going to be another one, and you're you're really going to laugh at me as this. But uh, Roberto Cabañas, midfielder for Boca in '93. I'm maintaining I'm maintaining a straight face. <laughs> you're 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 all going to laugh at laugh at this, but actually he was fun to watch, and he like really put himself out there in every game. I'm not going to go for a player or a team. I'm going to go for a match, if I'm allowed to. And that match is, although I'd already been watching Argentine football for most of the season prior to it, when I could find it on um, on online streams, uh, the 2004 Copa Libertadores semi-final second leg between River and Boca. Fittingly enough for this podcast, but that's not the reason I'm going for it, because with a Super Classical preview, it was just an absolutely epic game. It was the, uh, the match that Carlos Tevez got sent off for his goal celebration <laughs> towards the end of when he thought he'd won the tie for Boca. Uh, equalising for them on the night to make it 1-1 putting Boca 2-1 up on aggregate running around flapping his wings like a chicken in the Monumental because of course well, River's nickname is the, the Hens um, and, and got sent off and then Lucho Gonzalez got an equaliser in stoppage time and it was just the whole game was just epic and I, I was you know in my, my house in North Somerset watching it on the internet late at night 
pitch black everywhere. I'd just got home from a year <laughs> at university at about three or four o'clock in the morning, and it was just. Oh. What was funny about the the sent off of Tevez was that, Valencia uh, had to explain to him why he was sending him <laughs> off, and, and he imitated him like flapping the wings of also. <laughs> Chicken dance. So it was it was very funny. Joel, would you like to? Um, I was quite late, a late comer to Argentine football, so and I think for for a long time I, I you, was you quite of course like me first came here because of a girl, but the girl in question uh, you, you met in Spain. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah no, I, really... fir- I first came in ninety eight. The first game I went to was River Vélez in the ninety eight Libertadores, maybe ninety nine. I think it was ninety nine, um, and and for the, for a very long time Argentine football just fascinated me. But for everything else that was going on around. Yes, pitch rather than the uh, rather than the football itself. So, no, to be honest, really, it's very quite a recent side. It's the I mean the the Huracan Kappa team was just the first side that I watched as a really You're thought, hipster. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> but it was it was the first team that I saw regularly and properly, and, and that really played great football and, and showed that it could be done. Um, and you know, Gallardo has done it this year. Martino did it to an extent. But they're very far, few and far between teams that really, in terms of you know falling in love with Argentine football. But but as I said, for me, Argentine football is much more everything that's going on around it. Mm. Um, you know, the, obviously the atmosphere, the intoxicating atmosphere that it has, and uh, um, quite literally often. Um, but uh, and, and everything else that that surrounds the game. So I think um, I don't know. I don't know, basically I don't have an answer to this one. Um, the the asker of the next question. It's an Irish name, so fuck knows how it's pronounced. I'm going to say Fowlan, it's probably Sean or John or something, sorry. Uh, I am partly taking the piss out of how Irish people pronounce names there, so I apologise to our Irish listeners. But he asked, uh, Fowlan uh, Carberry, I'm pretty sure that is the surname, uh, asked, is there any chance of away fans being allowed back into the stadiums anytime soon? The The short answer to that is, is there bollocks? Because we just don't know. It's not going to happen before the new year for certain. Um, we've been saying that for the last two years now, right? I mean, this Sunday for River Boca and the Super Classico, there will be between police officers and private security one thousand six hundred men and one million Argentine pesos being spent, which at the official exchange rate is one hundred eighteen thousand dollars. With no way, with no way, support us. Exactly. The point Andres is making is is incredible. I mean, just you know, a stadium full of cars. It's just one set of sports. There's a big interna. No, but I mean, the the reason is there's there's a big interna, uh, an internal battle for control of the river Barrabarraba. Uh, for which reason, in fact, just before we started recording, it went up on the La Nación Sports website um, that the uh, Centenario Alta, which is the popular across where the away fans would normally be when there are away fans allowed, uh, is going to be open. The Subsecretary of Security has has denied the closing uh, of the Centenario. It's a quite confusing phrase <laughs> to wait to put the headline on there, but there we go. Um, and Esteban Beckerman has sent us a question as well who was on a few weeks ago uh, no not a few weeks ago a couple of months ago he was on the uh, the World Cup semi-final special edition uh, asking Magashan Chiki Perez or a youngster that is the question it might be a big surprise I'm pretty sure he must be referring to the standout player of the Super Classico um, neither no? neither He's not actually put a question mark or indeed any kind of clarification on that one. 
He's just put, that's the question. I thought that they were confirmed the Magashan and, and, and the Chavarria. Of course, he's asking about uh, Boca's central defensive lineup, hasn't he? I've, I've just realised. Uh. Uh, <laughs> because Leandro Magashan and, and Chiqui Perez are probably the, the, the first two, but you say Echeverria, you're quite right, because Daniel Diaz and Juan Forlin, Daniel Diaz's um, replacement at centre back, are both injured for this match, um, which against the rampant River Plate attack could be interesting. Um, and as he says it could be a big surprise so well we'll see um, that ladies and gentlemen those rather are all of the questions that we've had this week so here very quickly is Mystic Sam's theme music and I'll be back in a second to tell you all about what you should bet your pocket money on this weekend Okay, here we go. We begin the weekend on Friday with a match between Gimnasia La Plata and Vélez Sarsfield, in which I think Gimnasia are going to get a win. Banfield versus Belgrano begins the Saturday matches. Uh, I think that that ought to be a Banfield win because Belgrano are quite poor away. Uh, San Lorenzo versus Tigre, I have not yet finished writing my prediction for, but I'm going to go for. I'm sucking my teeth a bit. I'll go for a San Lorenzo win after their victory this evening against Olimpo. Defensa Justicia versus Arsenal de Sarandí. Arsenal, away from home, like Estudiantes, have lost all of their matches so far, so I'm going for a Defensa victory. I think it's something like 12 games since Arsenal last won an away game. Quilmes versus Newell's Old Boys. I think Newell's will get an away win there. Olimpo de Bahia Blanca against Estudiantes. As we've already mentioned, Estudiantes away record's pathetic, so I'm going for an Olimpo victory. River versus Boca. Rub your hands together. The only thing that makes any sense to predict for this one, of course, is a River win, given their recent record. Obviously, form goes out the window and all the rest of it, so Boca will probably win. But Mystic Sam's going for a River win. Racing Club versus Atletico de Rafaela, I think, is going to be a Racing victory. And Rosario Central against Lanús, a way win for Lanús in Rosario. Godoy Cruz against Independiente. I think that Godoy Cruz can get a point there, even though Independiente are in far better form, a draw. Anybody, anybody particularly disagree with any of them? Independiente. Win. You reckon? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Godoy Cruz's form has been like pretty poor lately. Mm. They do all right at home, though. We'll see. We'll see. It wouldn't <laughs> entirely surprise me. Yes, nothing entirely surprises anybody in this league. Contrary to to, uh, to their coach uh, surname, which is Major, which is Mayor, uh, they are going they are going poor. Yes. <laughs> Carlito bigger. <laughs> Absolutely, Joe. Any comments? No, I thought it was an excellent prediction list. Thank you very much. Yeah. We'll see what you think next week after they're all wrong. <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. Obviously. Um, we realise that for the Super Classico of all matches, we might have a few new listeners uh, this time round. So if you are a new listener, then please continue to listen and, and check out through previous episodes. We promise that all of them are at least as good as this one. Um, for now, it's thank you very much for listening to this bumper edition. Um, and goodbye from uh, Joel Richards. Goodbye. Whose book, which is called... Super Classico, the... 
Ultimate Derby or something like that. <laughs> I don't know, Super Classical. In the 90-minute series, you can find on Amazon.com or .co.uk yeah, uh, in book. Kindle editions. Yeah. And in, is, there a, is there a paper edition or not? No, there's it, not. It's just, just digital. It's digital, so nice and cheap. 90 minutes to read. There we go. That's, that's the whole idea. It's a couple of years old now, but it is a, as a primer for the Super Classical, it's unsurpassed. Uh, partly, partly in the same way as we're unsurpassed as an Argentine <laughs> yeah. football podcast, admittedly, that there aren't any others. But still, go and buy it. Um, it's goodbye from Gustavo Malamud. Goodbye. Do you have any books to publish to to to, to plug? Not them. None that will sell well. But uh, no, no. Uh, goodbye from Andres Bruckner. I haven't written. Uh, goodbye. And I've I still haven't written any yet either. So uh, goodbye from me. Mm-hmm.